Hey friends and welcome to episode two of Coming Up Next. Thanks for coming back or if this is your first time tuning into the ramble, welcome. Today I'll be chatting with Michaela Bannis. Michaela is one of the most accomplished actors in the country. She started her acting career at 18 months of age, appearing as a kiwi fruit. And uh, she's gone on to much bigger and better things. Uh, she's been in Always Greener, uh, McLeod's Daughters most recently, Upper Middle Bogan and Nowhere Boys and a little uh, little known show called uh, called Sweatshop, which you might want to just have a have a little look into. Um, <laughs> I've uh, I've worked with Michaela firsthand as a, uh, a director, and I can tell you that she is one of the hardest working people I've ever met. Uh, so it's pretty humbling for me to be sitting opposite her today and talking about all manner of things, uh, including you know what makes us shine as people. A uh, little warning at the head here, this episode does contain some swears. So, you know, if you're offended by coarse language, well, words have the meaning you give them, so, you know, maybe just think about that or uh, turn it off. <laughs> um, anyway, now that that's out of the way, coming up next, Michaela Bannis. That's an interesting way to start. Off you go. Off you go. Are you aware of what the uh, acronym of your show is called? Cunt. Yeah. yeah. Cunt. I was trying, no, no, it's cunt. I do love that word, though. <laughs> the, the oh, coming up next. Coming up next today, it Well, that's what, I was, that's what I was... But people could be listening to it on a Tuesday. There's not really any rules about the day that you listen to a Brilliant. podcast. Brilliant. I pray for a Tuesday for this. So to be coming up next Tuesday... <laughs> So, look how small minds are entertained here. Like, I'm just so amused by this small thing. I like to think that it takes quite an expanded mind to laugh at this sort of thing. Does it? Wonderful. That makes me feel so much better about myself. Well, because, you know, there's the, there's the whole thing of sarcasm being the lowest form of humour. But really, if you're comfortable enough to laugh at something that is the lowest form of humour without fear of judgment, I think you're pretty expanded. Cool. Let's go with that. I like that. Yeah. So... So this is the second episode of, uh, of, of Coming Up Next, which is kind of a show that's just sort of evolving in its own way. Um, the idea originally was to talk to people that I know or even people that I don't know about what it is and why it is that they do what they love. And, you know, I, I'm finding myself quite uh philosophical i guess at this point in my life about why i've chosen to do what i'm doing mm -hmm. why i'm pursuing that despite the fact that it is tremendously difficult um <laughs> to pursue to to get a gig let alone a sustainable career so to talk to people that are a, uh, that are you know sort of on the precipice or have maintained uh a successful career in a creative field which of those categories do i fall under do you think <laughs> No Somewhere need to be between. humble. No, I think you've, I mean, you know, you, I, I was looking at your Wikipedia profile oh, man. last night, which is apparently editable by anyone. So, yeah. I mean, really, how, who knows how accurate the information oh, I think, is. I think it's pretty accurate. I think, I mean, you know, everyone has a look at what, you know, what it says about them on, online, surely. And if you say you don't, you're lying. Yeah. Um, so, I know I'm pretty sure it's pretty accurate. Well, it said on there that your first gig was um, when you were 18 months old. <laughs> you were in a commercial in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. I was and dressed as a Kiwi in a Kiwi suit. 
yeah. for, for a Labour Party campaign. Labour, Liberal, I don't know. I was one and a half, who cares? Am I allowed to swear, by the way? You, chances are something's going to slip I out. think we've already said cunt a few times. Oh, we so. have said cunt. It's an automatic bleep filter. It's really good. Wonderful. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, I was dressed as a Kiwi at 18 months old. I, I mean, I don't, I, I remember it. I've seen, I've got this, I've got a few Polaroids. My brother was in the commercial as well. Um, I think he was about four. And yeah, we were just dressed in these little Kiwi suits. And um, I think my, my job was to sit on the ground and play with toys. Apparently, I just sang the whole time. And that was how you got the gig on that Upper Middle Bogan. That was my big Bogan. break. Yeah, and that was my audition for Upper Middle Bogan. Yeah. And here I am. <laughs> Sitting in a room with a pantsless producer. It's awesome. So you had your first gig at 18 months old, <laughs> and you're asking me if you've had a sustained, a sustained <laughs> career. I think I have. You know what? I think there's a lot of um, people that, um, unfortunately judge success by whether you've been hugely successful overseas like you know Australians unfortunately have this kind of mentality that you haven't made it until you're famous in America um I think I'm successful because I get to do what I love and I can pay my bills so um and that's a miracle really in this country because there's not a lot of work and um I try not to take it for granted sincerely like I try and remember that there are a lot of people that want to do what I do and a lot of people don't get the opportunities I've had but I also work really hard so um but yeah I think I'm successful I'm happy and I get to do what I love so to me that's success I'm not saying I don't want to make it big in America like if an opportunity came up sure but I don't think that defines us as successful and I think a lot of people think that you know which is a shame. Yeah, but I mean, I suppose like you're saying, it, it depends on your definition of what success is. Well, it's all relative. Exactly. This is the thing, you know, I, you know I've got lots of friends who no one would know who they are, but they have, you know, they're part of independent theatre companies and, um, and they, they act or perform for free on a regular basis. And um, that's success. I mean, I think that's success, but a lot of people wouldn't. But uh, yeah, like I said, it's all relative. It's totally relative, yeah. And, you know, I think I don't, I don't believe that. I, I don't judge people who um, define success by levels of fame, I guess, if you like, no. in our industry. If that's what you want to do and if that's what you want to be, go for it and go for it 110%. Mm. But I do think that there is maybe some sort of stigma here that, um, you know, to be successful, you need to have, you, you know, you need to be stopped on the street by every fucking yeah. person yeah. wanting a photo or an autograph, which is not what it's about really at all. That's well, not what it should be about, no. No, <laughs> no. It is for some people and that's okay, but it's, yeah. it's not what it's about for me and you and yeah, well, I mean, most, I, of, most of the people we know. The thing that's that sort of inspired this, podcast I guess mm. is you know I sat down um, towards the end of last year because I turned 30 yeah um, in December mm -hmm. and I was going through a little bit of a, a crisis point and I thought I want I'm just going to write down everything that I've achieved in the last 12 months um, did you surprise yourself I did surprise yeah. myself because I got I'd, I'd, I'd gotten so swept up in this idea that you know I've not earning money consistently, doing what I want to be doing, mm. having to borrow money from mm. my parents, having to, you know, 
tow the idea that I'm going to not might not be able to pay rent on time this month, all these sorts of things. And then you then I start to realize how much I'm investing in success being a yeah. monetary thing. I think I think you need to look at achievement as opposed to yeah yeah six, yeah I'm doing the inverted commas with my hands everyone success yeah visual medium uh, yeah it's a visual medium but yeah that, that it, what you have achieved if you look at the things if every person looked at the things they'd achieved in a year I mean you know mm. getting out of bed's an achievement for some people because you know some people are really suffering and struggling in lots of ways so that's an achievement in itself so if you're doing that every day and going out and fighting for something you 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 want and and Try, you know, try working at what you love, successful. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I think that's that's the key. I think is is that contentment and that that happiness and and wanting to get out of bed in the morning. I think though we kind of are in a society though. You know, Aussies are very um, you know, very self deprecating, mm. and um, I'd really love to see a shift in that. You know, because we sort of. Um, the culture is to not embrace our successes and our achievements and um, being proud of yourself is you're allowed to be, but you know, not too yeah, proud yeah, keep and keep it small. And, um, and that's what's holding a lot of people back. Mm. And, you know, look, I'm as self-deprecating as the next person. I, you know, my sense of humor is often self-deprecating, but that's something I'm even trying to change within myself because I think when well, no, I actually have a lot to offer the world, just like the next person. And so, yeah, I think um, I'd love to see that shift in Australian culture. It's it's um, and the whole tall poppy thing falls under that umbrella of you know, don't don't get too good, don't be too proud of yourself, don't be too don't shine. And I think we should shine in whatever it is we want to do. I agree. Um, you know, the world needs more shine in it. Yeah. You know, there's God so yeah. much. So much. Uh, so, so much going on that's depressing. Oh and that's, man, we need it. You know. Uh, Gratitude and generosity doesn't cost anything, um, and, and kindness and, and yeah. kindness, yeah. And we're and we're very we're very well, not everyone, but a lot of people are very quick to give it to other people, but not mm. themselves. Oh my god, that's been my big lesson, actually. That you say that in the last, you know, I've been going through all sorts of stuff in the last year, and and my big lesson is, you know, I like to be really kind and nice and thoughtful with other people, and have not been particularly kind to myself. That's mm. a tough one when you know you get to almost you know thirty seven. You've got thirty seven years of that built in of you know, don't be nice to yourself, don't think much of yourself. Not that I'm you know, I'm not, and I'm certainly not saying oh poor me, but but it's a big lesson. And it's a tough thing to shift to to turn that back on yourself and show that love and kindness and generosity to yourself. Mm. It's, it's necessary though. I I, I was uh, reading. I don't know if you've read any Osho. Um, I was reading uh, one of his books yesterday, last night. Um, it's, you know, it's sort of spiritual, mm. conscious awakening sort of mm. material. And he was talking about, it was like a, an anecdote about um, a guy who goes around and he, and he, he goes to this guy, um, I think his name was Hillel, and he asks him to teach him the Talmud or the Torah, which is, you know, the, the Jewish version yep. of the Bible, yep. like a truncated, just give me the, the 25 words or less version, because if this guy was so knowledgeable of it inside out, he should be able to give him. 25 words or less version and this guy had gone to all Don't these we all just want that now too yeah exactly you know, you know 125 characters quick tell me mm. meaning of life it's, yeah. yeah everything is just 
bam, <laughs> Sorry, give it to continue. Me. No, that's okay. And he'd gone to all these other sort of theologians and, and historians and whatnot who knew it inside out and had said, give me the 25 words or less version. And they'd all said, no, we can't do that. That would be completely disrespectful to, you know, what it is that mm. we've learned and what we've taught. And, and this guy Hillel said, the Torah teaches do unto or do not do unto others as you would not have them done to you. The rest is just commentary. And mm. I think if you look at that, almost invert that mm. because we do to other people like we would like them to do to us, mm. but then we don't do that for ourselves. ourselves. Yeah, totally. That's a very long-winded way of telling that anecdote. No, but it's, tr- it, it's lovely and it's true mm. for sure. And I think that's going to be a, a lot of people's lessons in the, lesson in the next little while. Mm. Uh, and it's not to say don't continue to be kind and generous and loving to other people. Continue being that. But you need to give it to yourself in equal measure. Mm. It's so tough, though. <laughs> it, it is. It is tough. How do you do that? Yeah. You know, especially well, when... Especially when it's not taught. You don't get taught really that. Well, not even that, but in, like you were saying, we're taught almost the opposite of that. Like, don't be too full of yeah. yourself. Yeah, I know. No. Don't get too big. Yeah. Yeah. But really, it's not about being big because, you know, you're not, you're not hurting anyone. You're no. not being malicious. You're not being arrogant. You're just knowing that you know your worth or you have worth and yeah absolutely what that is yeah and you contribute Mm. on a big scale Mm. um look at us getting all philosophical couldn't even say it (laughs) yeah that that happened pretty quickly that did sorry (laughs) no don't be sorry straight in there that's kind of what this is about you know cut through the shit (laughs) you know what i really don't like small talk Good, let's not. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about it. You probably get it a lot. I mean, you probably get a lot of people Yeah, I, to... I don't mind small talk, mm. but I love talking about this kind of stuff. Mm. You know? It's important. Do you feel like you have some sort of power in the position that you're in, um, being that, you know, you're a recognizable face, you've, you've had a sustained career, mm. When you have a forum like this or, um, you know, when you're on um, a talk show or, or a panel show or something, do you feel like you have an obligation or, or to, to anything or do you feel like you have a sense of um, I think it's not, it's not a sense of really, or for me, I don't, it doesn't feel like a sense of power or influence necessarily, but uh, that I do have a voice mm. um, and I can be a, a voice for xyz you know so um if a charity approaches me i can be a voice to that charity and and be heard uh, probably a little more than the average person um possibly um i i feel like you know see that's that, the small thing coming out there i think yeah where you yeah. say possibly you yeah maybe like maybe a, no absolutely it's, you're right it's, it's a fact <laughs> yeah absolutely i think um i think my only obligation uh really for me is is to is to be authentic as authentic as i can in whatever i choose to be a voice to and um and genuine um and loving i think we just kind of (laughs) i'm going to get philosophical again but you know society um at the moment you know i i love technology and i utilize it all the time i i it's a blessing in one hand it's a remarkable thing i I had FaceTime with my niece yesterday. It was her fourth birthday. I got to sing. I got to be there with her, you know. So that's – she's in New Zealand, another country. So that's a beautiful thing. Didn't have that not so long ago. 
Um, but I think the other thing is, in in many ways, as much as it does connect, it also is a disconnect for a lot of people. And, um, you know, you look at bullying and all that bullshit and, and people sitting behind computers on their own, um, connected, again, inverted commas, to, to, to other people. But, but, I mean, I really, um, in my heart, feel like we really, as humans do, still really need each other. Um, so my... My um, coming back to the question, I feel like my obligation is, is to is to make sure that we still connect, to what in whatever voice that I have in the world. That's probably part of it for me. Mm. Did that even make sense? I went on this no, weird tangent, great sense. but yeah, I think I think we desperately need each other still, and our sense of community is shifting. And I think that's okay that it sits in a technology technological world, but. I think it also needs to sit in a face-to-face world as well to mm. be balanced. In uh, in Russell Brand's new book, he um, he talks about community being common unity, mm-hmm. and I've never like even thought about mm. the word being broken down like mm. that before. But it's like me, that yeah. he's a smart dude. He is a very smart dude. I interviewed him once. The really? man is so freaking quick. He's just very funny, obviously, but he's so intelligent and so quick. Yeah, I was doing radio at the time, and. Um, yeah, I just was kind of like, whoa, I never kind of met anyone like that. What was he like off the air or you were <laughs> just kind of in and out? He was really sweet, actually. Um, he, he he tried to kiss me at the end of the interview, which is hilarious. Like on the cheek? No, he totally just grabbed, grabbed my hair, actually, and it was very funny. He, he, but, but he's actually really smart. Uh, he gave us tickets to the show and then a bunch of us went and had drinks afterwards. And I got a real sense back then that he was kind of quite um lonely is this still when he was on the drugs and no no this is he's um just before i think he married Katy perry right so you know he he was on his own but i just got a real sense of loneliness from him actually which was kind of odd and um like we sat and chatted for for a little bit um and he was really sweet really sweet but yeah there was just a sense of loneliness i guess he you know he's touring and traveling and you know he's got his people around him but you know, sometimes you can have all these people around and still have that kind of that kind of loneliness. So, um, and I think that's probably something he struggles with. You know, with people that struggle with addiction, struggle with all kinds of all kinds of stuff. I believe. Um, so yeah, but he's an interesting, dude. Interviewing mm. him, like we got a we got a a hat and we put topics in the hat. So he didn't know what was coming, and I was like pulling out topics and going Australian cricket team, and he would just riff. And make gags. It was like little pieces of stand up, live on air, without falter. So yeah, it's quite amazing. He's amazing. Wow. And I and I've seen a lot of his, you know, a lot of his um, stuff online, you know, over the last six months. And and you know, he has a voice and he uses it well. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to believe everything he says. But you know, if he's got something to say, he says it, and he says it with conviction and with education. And I think that's pretty cool. Mm. What was the small talk like with him? Um, just pretty normal, I guess. He was really tired. Mm. He was exhausted because he'd just done a show. And he's one of those full of beans guys. And so, and so he sat there and he's like, I'm just so tired. I said, yeah, I bet you are. You were like jumping around and, you know, he's one of those people that just on stage is just like gives. And, um, yeah, he, he was sort of quite reserved and just kind of, yeah, he, he was talking about how tired he was and where he'd been and where he was going and 
yeah, just normal, normal kind of stuff. I didn't mm. talk to him for that long. There was many people there and they all wanted to talk to him. But he did, actually, I didn't go and talk to him. He came and sat next to me and was like, hello, I remember you interviewed me two days ago. I was like, yeah, man, that was amazing. He's like, yeah, yeah, how would you like the show? That kind of thing. I said, you were brilliant. You're just incredible. And he was. It was amazing. Do you think there's something in that you weren't giving him attention that drew him Probably. to you? especially as a woman because <laughs> women are giving him attention like all the time and he's like you're lovely he just said something really nice like that and he said oh you're lovely towards the end of our conversation I said no oh, that's very nice thank you and then off he went and I was chatting to a couple of his entourage people really nice really nice yeah so you did radio you um you you filled in for Feeling for Joe Stanley Joe on the Matt and Joe show. So Joe had a baby, so she was gone for three months with um, on maternity leave okay. with child. So I did three months of morning morning breakfast. How was that? Yeah, breakfast show early. <laughs> it's tough, guy. You know, it's tough going. Those guys really work hard. I mean, um, yeah, you're up about four four thirty in the morning because mm. you have to be there for a five o'clock meeting. So depending how far you live from the studio, I was up at four. Get to the studio by five for the meeting. You're on air at five, uh, on air at six. Every day you have to bring content in, um, and then you know we'd go to meetings or we'd go to film screenings or we'd go to interviews. Like you know you have to go to um, hotels. We interviewed Bill Nye in a hotel once. The science and, guy. No, Bill no. Nye, the the actor. That's that, the actor um, yeah, from uh, Love Actually. Probably most famous from Love Actually, um, and it was like almost pitch black in the room. It was almost complete darkness bar one lamp and it was very strange. It was lovely but strange. He was strange? Yeah. Just very standoffish, very closed off. Didn't want to really... You could tell he didn't want to talk to us. Because you asked him to sing that Christmas song from Love Actually? No way. And then people like Zac Efron, we interviewed him. So I had a really good... I had a really interesting time. You know, my very first interview was by myself with Jack Black. Wow. Which was awesome. Just like this. Me, Jack Black, and someone... someone And my brother in the studio without his pants on. Someone there with all the equipment doing all the professional, you know, (laughs) important stuff. Um, Yeah. What was was that like? I was petrified. I've been interviewed lots of times. It's very different interviewing somebody. He was so nice and he was so fun and um, just, yeah, just awesome. He, I, I told him it was my first interview and he was just, because I thought I'm just going to be honest just in case this is horrible. And he was just <laughs> gorgeous. It, yeah, he was gorgeous. Yeah, it was great. It was on a weekend. He was here promoting um, Kung Fu Panda. I actually stole a Kung Fu Panda doll out of the room as well and gave it to um, Matt Tilly's kids <laughs> <laughs> and took photos of me thieving it from Jack Black's and hotel then, room. And then tweeted. It Jack sounds like Black. Jack Black's hotel room. Like it's a press room, so they have a hotel room for press. I'm not sitting you know, on the bed chatting to Jack Black. <laughs> on the edge of the <laughs> I just bed. just want to clarify that. Your hands in your... There's all lights and cameras and, you know, for the next television interview, so it was all very above board. <laughs> but, yeah, Zac Efron, really interesting people. That was in a hotel Richard room. Richard Branson. They, yeah, they set up, yeah, they set up press rooms in, in the hotel. Yeah. This is when Zac Efron was about, I don't know, 19 and had no chest hair. Now he's got little fluffs on his chest. Really? Little, yeah, little stringy up. pubes. Go, I'm growing up, that one. <laughs> <laughs> You've watched him from... Well, you were, you were a bit of a kid actor as well. I was, yeah. How did that... How did, what was that like? I mean, actually interviewing NATO last week. Yeah. Um, you know, we uh, we talked a lot about how he came from 
the background of being a child actor and yeah. he kind of went behind the camera into yeah. art department but you kind of did he did he I know this is not about you know uh, but did he want to continue acting or is it, did he just lose no, interest I, th- I think he lost interest a little bit yeah um I know he's certainly like when I met him, he was still acting. Yeah, what was that eight years ago? He acted in a film that I made, and that was how we became friends. But that I think, you know, I I must have killed it for him because after that, <laughs> he never and he never acted again. And he never acted again. <laughs> yeah, so I think he's. I think I don't know. Maybe it was maybe the the, the security of it or the sustainability. The insecurity I don't know. of it. Well, yeah. yeah kind of moved him behind the camera and he mm. took an interest in design and you know Which that's really that's where he at. wants yeah he's amazing at it he's and that's really where he wants at. to move into production design yeah um, eventually he's amazing but he's you amazing. started it on what like we said before 18 months yeah um and you mate you had your first film role in new zealand when you were like five yeah 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 yeah, five it was full-on actually because it was a kind of a thriller film and i was playing the daughter of this kind of I don't know, it was like, you know, some kind of mafia boss, you know, dude. And, um, yeah, I was five and I had to have, I had to get tied up and have guns pointed in my head in a cemetery. Like Fifty like... Shades of Grey, but in New Zealand. <laughs> no, I was kidnapped. I was kidnapped. So I remember having, yeah, having to be tied up. And I remember having to um, run along the beach in Wellington in winter in my swimming costume and how cold that was. It was is that, freezing. Is that your earliest memory of acting? Yeah, I don't really remember the commercial. I remember the kiwi suit, uh, the, the the little bird suit that I wore for the commercial when I was 18 months old, but I don't really remember the shoot. I remember a couple of commercials I did pretty young, but but I remember the film and I remember I had to play the piano. So I remember playing the piano. I remember being on the beach making sandcastles in the freezing cold. Um, I remember, yeah, the having to get tied up the cemetery having guns pointed at my head and I didn't know why they were showing me the gun before they were pointing it at my head before they so you know there's there's a rule that they show you the gun is not loaded I was like mm, I don't, whatever <laughs> yeah I didn't really kind of get what that was I just assumed about back then the um it was it was the very early 80s um <laughs> wasn't um, in Australia though so no and I remember being on um we had a really old bus for the wardrobe makeup green room combined. It was low budget film, New Zealand. And I remember sitting on this really old rickety bus and the woman that was playing my stepmother, uh, playing my, playing my mother, um, was giving me vitamin C, chewable vitamin C tablets. Cause it was so cold. We were shooting on the beach in winter. I loved them. I was like, these are amazing. These are lollies. So I was just smashing these, just knocking back these vitamin C tablets like they were going out of <laughs> With fashion. With juice box. But like, yeah, just like really weird little things like that I remember. I remember the vitamin C tablets and mm. things like that. Do you remember like that, The uh, you know, people talk about getting bit by the acting bug. Mm. And I have some distinct memories of like entertaining my family yeah. as a kid and, and, and just not knowing what the feeling was, but knowing that I wanted more of that feeling and, yeah. that I, and that that was what I really loved. Do you remember the first time that you kind of had that feeling that has mm. almost driven your career? I think it just kind of always was in me, if that might sound a bit strange, but um, my, all my games, all the games I played as, as a child were very much make-believe based. So 
you know, impro, as you would call it now, I guess. But it's playing complete, space jump on your own. Com- yeah, <laughs> complete make believe. If, if I, anyone was playing with me, they were roped into this story. It was all story, and now we're the, now we're these fairies, and this is happening, and this is happening. It was all just complete fantasy. They were my games as a kid, um, and uh, my father, because my father's in the industry as well. He used to um, when I was. When he's I was, a writer, yeah. He's a writer now, but when I was, uh, he was an actor. And then he moved into directing and he ran a theatre company when I was really small. And um, I used to get dropped at kindy by either my mother or my father. Um, And (laughs) um, no word of a lie, I would cry until someone came to get me. If it took four hours, I would cry for four hours. Until one of your parents came back. And ultimately it would be my father. And it meant I got to sit in theatre while he was rehearsing a play, rehearsing a musical, doing X, Y, Z. And that's when I was happy. I wasn't happy at kindy, even though there was dress up box and all this sort of stuff. That was my thing as a kid, which is my poor parents and the poor kindy teachers, the screaming, crying child. But I just, and I wouldn't give in. I was that stubborn. So I guess that's a pretty strong indicator that I wanted to be in the theatre or in, in, in the performing arts because... I wanted to be there more than hanging out with kids my age. And there were no other children at the theatre. It was all adults. and But I loved it. And I loved going all backstage with my dad where they were building the sets. And when I smell sawdust now, it reminds me of set building. It's so weird. If I smell sawdust, it takes me straight back to going backstage in the theatre where my dad's friends were building sets for the next show. It's bizarre. Mm, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And so do you remember the first time that you like that you entertained people and you got that feedback? Not really. Not really. Uh, I mean, I, I did a musical, an a, um, amateur musical when I was five or six, maybe six. And you get your gun. I was in that briefly. Did they show you the gun in that as well? <laughs> they did. I'm sure they did. I don't remember. And I don't remember much about it, but I do remember um, the lights, how hot the lights were on stage and you couldn't really see anybody. Um, but to be honest, you know, when you work in film and television, that feedback isn't instantaneous. So, um, you know, obviously performing as a kid and parents and my parents' friends were always, you know, my brothers used to do stunt rolls down the stairs and stuff when my parents had dinner parties because they were taught how to stunt roll down the stairs. Huh. That that was their thing. Like, oh, God, the boys are falling. Whoa. And everyone would be like, what? We used to have live wrestling matches. There you go. So the boys would stunt roll down an entire flight of stairs and much to the enjoyment of, you know, the initial horror and then enjoyment when they realized, oh, wow, they're stunt rolled. And then one night I fell down the stairs and everyone stood there and clapped (laughs) while I cried at the bottom because I didn't know how to stunt roll down the stairs. I had literally had fallen. So that was horrible. And I just remember my dad going, tuck and roll. Tuck and roll as I flailed down the freaking staircase. Um, but, you know, like little performances for you know, family and family, friends. And I, I played piano. So I had music was a big part of um, my childhood too. So I was always playing, playing and singing for people and things like that. But to be honest, my first real, oh, my God, moment live, because I did a lot of film, a lot of television when I was younger, 
I did Avenue Q and this is in 2010. So this is five, uh, 2009. So this is five, six years ago. It was a musical, stage musical with puppets. And opening night, apparently my face was the funniest thing people have ever seen because um, we got this um, eruptive standing ovation. It was quite, wow. um, it was beautiful. But I, I'd never experienced that before mm. <laughs> because I'd never done anything on, it was my stage debut. Apart from Annie Get Your Gun when I was five and I sort of just remember the lights and not being able to see anything and hearing clapping. But, you know, it was at a you know, town hall and such and such. Mm. So this was my first professional stage show. And apparently my face was hilarious because I was so overwhelmed at the response and that I'd been part of something that had created this response. Because you get, you get response in film and television in the form of letters, in the form of people coming up to you in the street and saying, I love this or I saw you in that and that was fabulous. And, mm. and people sending you messages and your friends telling you it's great. But you go, well, of course you're going to tell me it's great. You're my friend. You love me. You know, like, um, yeah, that, that immediate response and, 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 even throughout the, that first show, um, hearing the laughs and going, fuck, you know, some people are laughing. This is it's a comedy, which is good. Um, <laughs> people are laughing. Um, fuck, I'm, I'm making people laugh here. Um, people are emoting. I'm, I'm uh, you know, I mean, I, people go to the theatre um, and probably to, to, well, and to film and definitely to, to see film to see themselves reflected back, you know, and this is what, what I'm talking about. I'm bringing it back to that whole thing about we need to connect with each other. So I loved that. I loved that I had that experience in Avenue Q and I, yeah, that, that's, that stays with me for sure. So that's what, about 25 years between sort yeah. of theatre experiences and having had all of this, <laughs> yeah. you know, pretty big success. Yeah, I've had, an, inc- had an incredible career in film and, and yeah. mostly in television between, yeah. It's, being a kid and between and up until doing Avenue Q for sure. It's funny because you hear a lot of stories that are almost the inverse of that, where they where there's the success in the theatre on the stage yeah. or you know as a musician or whatever. Yeah. And then there's kind of the divergence into screen. Yeah. Um, I've kind of done the opposite. <laughs> yeah, you've kind of done the opposite, and yeah. then you've been given this kind of this feeling of fuck. You know, I, I can. Like you're actually literally connected in the moment, and 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 it's such a different role for you as well because you've come from you know McLeod's daughters, neighbors, winners and losers, and then you're going into not only musical theater but something that is heavily grounded in comedy. Mm-hmm. How, how do you feel like moving from those sort of things into comedy? I um with Avenue Q, I nearly didn't take the job. There's been a couple of times in my career where I've almost not taken the job. McLeod's Daughters was another one. I had, a, I had the joy of, um, of having three jobs offered at once uh, after I finished Always Greener and um, three jobs came up at once. And one of them was McLeod's Daughters and that was the one I wanted the least. Hmm. One was one because was, um, I was living in Sydney for Always Greener. One was in Sydney and I thought, well, that'd be great. One was in Melbourne. Uh, the Sydney one... Um, the role wasn't really kind of a very big stretch from what I had just done. Uh, the The Melbourne role was a great role, but I knew the show had probably maybe six months in it still. I got that kind of feeling about the show. 
And then the other one was McLeod's Daughters, which was hugely popular at that point. And I was like, I don't want to do that one. That's in Adelaide and with animals and, oh, God, horse riding and I don't know anyone and what would I do? But you do get to wear a fancy hat. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, I got to wear a hat, man. Oh. Um, and, I, and I decided... It took me quite a while, but I decided to take McLeod's because I felt like it had legs and I felt like it was a big jump from from in terms of character because I played sort of snotty kind of bitchy fashionista on Always Greener to play a really dorky, sweet, you know, <laughs> like a little Catholic kind of Italian Catholic girl on McLeod. So I, I went, that's the smarter choice, even though that's the one I don't want to do. And I was scared. And... um it was the best thing I did. Like it was the best move. I made the completely the right choice. The Sydney show would not have really moved me forward or taken me into a new light in terms of um, scope with character. And the other show finished in six months' time. So I was like, cool. I, I trusted my instinct, which is always right. Um, but I was petrified and I ended up absolutely loving working on McLeods. It was the hardest show I've ever worked on. It was all mm. um, uh, no studio completely all at the location. mercy of completely on location completely at the mercy of the environment and Adelaide gets you know I mean we were shooting in 47 degrees in summer I'm, I'm on an almost grief. black horse in um, jeans long sleeve shirt hat it was hot I you know full on and in winter you know you get up at four in the morning it's one not even one degree some mornings so your breath in front of you yeah you know can't feel your feet in the stirrups when you're trying to ride a horse like your feet are frozen like it was really it was full-on and the crew i have such respect for the crew that worked on that show because it was just you know wind rain you know it was relentless and mm. no no oh well it's crappy weather let's go into the studio didn't exist so the lesson was, okay, well, that's good. Do things at ski. With Avenue Q, which was the, my first stage, uh, professional stage show and a comedy, uh, I didn't even think I'd get a call back. I auditioned for musical theatre and stuff in the past and, um, you know, they look at my CV and they go, oh, here's that girl from TV. And they all roll their eyes and they look at me and go, oh, go on then. And I can sense the panel all doing that and inevitably get so nervous that I cock it up, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, but with Avenue Q, they were really, really lovely, warm people. And um, was, this an, was it the American production brought to Australia or was it an independent production of it it was an independent production of it um that was the beautiful thing is that the the guys that um wrote and created it in america gave the australian production permission to do our own set our own choreography right which is unheard of mm. unheard of if you if you're doing a, a big main stage show um that's come from america a lot of people don't know this you have to do the steps it's like a franchise it's literally step by step move by move the lighting the set the dancing, everything is completely regimented and it is has to be that way and you can't change it. We had the joy of making our own set however we wanted, which we did, you know, end up doing one very similar to the Broadway production and our own choreography, which was awesome because mm. I was not much of a dancer. But, I, <laughs> you know, like I'm all right, but it's hard with a puppet and, yeah. and, or two puppets and singing and American. And Did you have a background in puppetry at all? Or you no, no. So it was all um, everyone who auditioned, no one had background in puppetry. Um, but we did have to, in our audition, have, have a play with one mm. to see if we had any natural ability. I think I had pretty strong natural ability with a puppet, which was awesome. And then I, um, I went and just, I'm, I'm pretty hardcore. I'm a, I'm a big 
hardcore dork, so I I spent months nerd. Yeah, dork in the best possible way. Not nerd, dork, all good things. Um, I I went and really really learnt how to do it and um, learnt all my songs before the first day of rehearsal, all my harmonies. Because if we weren't on stage, we were doing all harmonies off stage. Mm-hmm. It was a full-on show. But my lesson was, so, so I, I did the audition. They asked me to do a callback in which I went, are you fucking serious? Like I was, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, really? Okay, okay. I couldn't believe I got a callback. Then I did the callback and then my agent rang and said, oh, so they're offering you the role. And I was like, oh, okay, who am I understudying? What's, what's, this is exciting. And she's like, oh, no, 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 they're offering you the role, like the, the, the lead, the female lead. And I think I said, oh, my God. It would have been like an acting exercise watching it from the outside. I think I said, oh, my God, every which way possible. <laughs> Shock, joy, elation, fear. Like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Like it just <laughs> kept coming out. And eventually I said, okay, I have to think about this. And I hung up and I, I almost turned it down because I was so fucking scared. Mm. Not only did I have to be on stage, I had to be on stage with an American accent. I had to sing which, you know, when you've been on TV, they're all like, yeah, here we go. I had to dance a bit and, and puppeteer and puppeteer two puppets at the same time sometimes wow. or puppeteer one puppet and voice two puppets at the same time. It was full on. And I was petrified. It was just complete fear of the unknown. Mm. And my best friend said to me, and I was like, I don't think I can do it. I just, I'm, I think I'm going to turn it down. And she said, to, she turned around and said to me, she goes, Michaela, people do these things all the time. Actors do musicals. They do plays, they do them eight shows a week, and they do it all the time. You can do it. It's scary, but you can do it. It's doable. It's not that you can't do it, it's just that you're scared to. And I was like, fuck, that's so true. People do do it all the time. Mm. Okay. And I did it. And, and that opening night, I think that's why I was so elated, not only by the response, but I was really proud of myself. I'd overcome a big fucking fear, man. I was scared as hell. I can't tell you how scared I was. Mm. Not for not for what anyone would think. Just could I do it? And it sounds like such a small thing, but it was a really big thing for me. No, I understand that. But it's also that thing, I guess, you now look back on it. And like you were saying, when you're standing on the precipice of, yeah. for lack of a better word, greatness, mm. it's fucking scary because, and, and I use greatness in a broad sense. I mean, like being the best part of yourself, stepping into something unknown. Yeah. Because you don't know what the fuck it is and you don't know what the consequences are. Mm-mm. And if you, it's like, it's a risk because it's like you're on the poker table and you're going all in. If yeah. I fuck this up, that could potentially be the end of my career. Yeah. But, and that's all you, you, your mind kind of perpetuates that idea and, mm-hmm. and that judgment. And like you say, you know, modern conventions or judgments about what actors do or don't do or, mm-hmm. you know, any of that sort of stuff kind of perpetuates this negativity so instead of, and, and I find myself doing this all the time, I see like a, a, a film competition online mm. and as soon as I see one guideline that I, that, that appears to be challenging, <laughs> I kind of go, oh, oh, I, can't I can't do that Yeah, yeah. and yeah, uh, no. I'm, I'm not going to bother. And it's like, why am I blocking myself from doing Other that? You can, other people are doing it. Yeah. Why can't you? Well, it's, <laughs> and it's almost like there isn't a can and can't, there's a will and won't. Exactly. Will you do it or won't you do it? Exactly. Not to get all fucking Yoda. I this, love Yoda. Yeah. Do or do not, there is no try. (laughs) Love him? Love Yoda. Do you feel like you could... I think I had a crush on Yoda a little bit. Is that weird when I was a kid? I had a crush on an Ewok and Yoda. (laughs) Well, everyone likes an Ewok. (laughs) 
Yeah, I had some weird crushes. I also had a crush on on Mork from Mork and Mindy. He was right. my first crush, I think, Robin Williams. Fair enough. Yeah, I think he was my yeah. He was my first kind of real crush. Where I was mm. like, oh, I like him in a way that I haven't really liked something before. <laughs> Creepy. Creating <laughs> little, weird little hairy knuckled man that he is. <laughs> mm. he, he kind of looked like an Ewok, I guess. A little bit. Maybe that was the appeal. <laughs> the, the correlation there. But I guess yeah. I guess my big lesson has been to to, to do things that scare you and and um, yeah, that, that Avenue Q is a big one. And do you feel like having done Avenue Q, do you think that had anything to do with you then sort of trajecting, trajectory, um, triggering yourself into comedy and doing something like Upper Middle Bogan? I always wanted to do comedy. Um, and again, you know, I've been really fortunate in my career to, to have had really diverse characters and, and stuff like that. But um, I, I, I wasn't really getting seen for, for comedy I suppose um and I always knew that I loved it and I always sort of felt like I probably could do it but had never really tried or been given the opportunity um until Avenue Q and and it certainly wasn't like oh right now I'm going to do comedy choice because after Avenue Q I did a couple of other serious serious roles um before um before Bogan came along you know, I worked on Beaconsfield and that was full on and, you know, um, playing, playing a real woman and, I mean, they're all real women, but you know what I mean? Like <laughs> Drama. A, a person who's alive in the world. Ah, right. Um, Non-fiction. Uh, yeah, um, which is a huge privilege. But um, I think the whole Bogan thing, um, I still, I should, upper middle Bogan. It just sounds like I'm talk, referring to myself as a Bogan. Um, getting the opportunity <laughs> to work on upper middle Bogan um, was really kind of a, a gift I guess um that uh Wayne Hope and Robin Butler decided to look outside the square and they're known for that and they, and I have such respect for that because I think a lot of people do just sort of fall into categories and I was mm, just in a fortunate enough mold. not to not to do that um haven't haven't really fallen in categories in my career which is an absolute blessing but it's been smart on on uh, on one level as well but they looked outside the square and um, I originally was um, auditioning for the lead for Bess, who is the doctor, who finds out she's adopted. And I read the script and I rang my agent and I said, I, re- I want to play Amber. And she said, oh, well, they want to see you for Bess because um, age-wise you're more appropriate for Bess because I'm actually older than the woman who plays Bess hmm. in real life. Um and I said, I know, okay, all right, cool. So I learnt my lines. I got myself looking as doctory as possible. Um, and the morning of my audition, I rang up my agent. I literally, I was in my clothes an hour before the audition and I rang my agent and I said, I really, I really just feel really strongly about this. My gut is just like, I want to play Amber. I read this woman came off the page, this burping, swearing woman. And I was like, that's me. That Not that that's who I am as a person, but Pardon something me. just connected, you know that I couldn't explain. Um, she said, okay, let me call you back. And she rang the casting place and they said, all right, okay. If she doesn't want to come in for best, then that's fine. Cause I thought if I go in an audition for best, they'll never consider me for Amber, which may or may not have been true. But then they came back and said, okay, well don't come in then. I'm like, okay, oh shit. If I made the right choice. And then I just didn't get an audition for anything for a while. Like I was like, they were like, oh, we think Amber might've been cast. We're not sure. We'll keep you posted and nothing for months. And I thought, I really fucking shot myself in the foot. I should have just gone in. Like, 
why wouldn't you just go and audition? Don't be such a, you know, mm. don't be such a wanker about it. You should have just auditioned. And I was like, no, I haven't been a wanker. I trusted my instinct. And unfortunately, in this, in this case, it, it, it didn't work out. That's fine. And then I'm overseas and I get an email from my agent saying they want you to audition for Amber. And I was like, this is the role. This is it. This is months later. And I didn't, they, I didn't have scripts with me or anything, but I, because I had read that script and, I, and she had jumped off the page so much to me, I was like, I know, what I, gotta, I know what to do. And so they sent me the actual audition scenes but didn't send me the whole script. And I remember doing the audition scenes and um, I, I threw a couple of burps that weren't in the scene in because I knew she had reflux issues yeah. <laughs> and um, she got a fucking reflux. And, um, that's... You actually just had reflux. Didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I just had reflux that day. And I threw these, threw these burps in because I knew that that was in the script that I'd read three months prior and um, sent the tape off and then got a call, you know, you're on hold and then got a call. You've got the job. And then when I did the show, Robin and Wayne turned around and said to me, you know, we watched your audition and, and it was really great, really great. And then you burped and we went, that's Amber. There's Amber, she's right there. And I was like, oh my God, that fucking burp got me across the line. A burp got me across the line that wasn't scripted, but, you know, I was mm. like, it was just serendipitous, one of those things. Trust your instincts. like. Just... Yeah, that seems to be one of the big lessons today. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Life lesson in every sense, you know. Mm. So what do you think it is about acting, performing that really you know, that drives you, that, that, that makes you want to get up in the morning and go, this is the, this is the fucking costume that I want to put on yeah. in life. And I do. I get up in the morning at, you know, four or five in the morning and I am not a morning person. And I can sincerely say that when I'm, when I'm shooting or when I'm working on a play or um, I, I get up and I'm excited to go to work, like literally, which is just so amazing. Mm, it's a gift. Um, it's a it, massive gift. It really gift. is. I think not many people get to have that. And I certainly don't want to be jumping out of bed at four or five in the morning most of the time. But if it's for work, I'm happy to. You know, I think that um, I think the reasons that I've done it um, and because I've been doing it for 30 something years, I think they've morphed over the years. Yeah, I think the reason that I do it, that I still do it and now um, and the lessons that I've learned at the age that I am now, and it will probably continue to change. But at this point in my life, I'm just fascinated by human behavior and humanity and why people are the way they are and uh, the choices they make. And so with every character, you're, you know, investigating a different part of humanity. And I think that's really fascinating and wonderful and, and um, infinite (laughs) you know you can never do too much work because you know if you're creating another human they've got a story a whole life of detail that you can that you can look to so um you know I think when I was little I got attention you know and and I wanted to be heard for whatever reason and I or I wasn't being heard in one aspect of my life and so that was how I got heard um maybe um at one point I think I wanted people to know who I was because I wanted to leave a mark on the world. Um, you know, it, it, it's morphed. But in the last probably five, ten years, it's really, yeah, for me it's really just been about this, this fascination with, with humanity and human mm. behaviour. And, and um, I mean, this is, might sound a bit lame, but love. Mm. It doesn't sound lame at all. I think, I think um, 
my message is love and I think in whichever characters you play I just played a, I just did a play where I played this Irish woman who tortures and murders her mother which was really heavy and really full-on and really really sad and people are like why would you want to do that I'm like because this is someone who's so desperate for love like it most of the time for people boils down to love in one way or another and as humans we need that with each other and and characters do too and um and I'm I'm proud that even when I play a bitch you know upper middle bogan everyone loves Amber um and she talks about what a bitch she is now I don't think she's a bitch because I'm playing her and I'm playing her from from a place of love but I think people like her because I play her from a place of love she care, she cares about her family so fiercely mm. that she's aggressive about it and people can connect to that people get it we go they go i know that that's me or that's my sister or that's my i I see that and Mm. that comes back to what i said before about people wanting to see themselves reflected back they sit there in the theater and they go oh my god i know that pain oh my god i know that joy Mm. oh my god i know that anger oh my god i i know that person that's you know do you know many people have come and said to me and i this is the biggest compliment i know my friend blah blah is amber or I've got a sister who is that girl. Like, it's the best. That's what people want to see. Mm. How does that make you feel when that happens? Amazing. That's awesome. Mm. I did my job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's awesome. Mm. Very, very lucky. Yeah, it's, it's it, as I was saying before, I think it's, you know, it's quite a gift that we, on whatever level, can, um, through our art, provide that sort of connect, connection. Because we need it. I mean, yeah, and that we're creating from our own imagination. So it's, you know, whatever you want to look at it, whether it's a chemical reaction. Are we amazing that we create this stuff out of our freaking nothingness? Yeah. It's brilliant. I mean, for me, that's what life is all about. You know, life is about creating because, well, life is about love, but creating is, for me, the base form of love because you're creating something from yourself Mm -hmm. that other people can connect to. You're on giving, whatever level yeah, you're giving, you're giving and, in you know, order to receive back hopefully yeah yeah exactly and so that people can see themselves through you it's funny you know I, I i someone asked me a few years ago because i started so young and because i've been working f- for most of my life like oh you play all these different characters and you're always pretending to be someone else how do you even know who you are how do you know who you are because you're always pretending to be someone else like i'm not pretending to be someone else ever I'm finding me in everything. Mm. And I think I... I was going to say this sounds arrogant, but it doesn't. I think I know who I am probably better than the average Joe Mm. because I'm forced to look at my shit. I'm forced to look at all the parts of me that I like, that I don't like, that I have to learn to like to create this person, this character. Mm. So when I'm playing someone who tortures and murders her mother, I have to find the part of me that has that in me. We all fucking have it. Just as much as we all have the ability to, to love and be caring and generous and kind, we have the ability to fucking kill and punish and destroy. So you've got to be brave and you've got to fucking get it. It's got to come out of me. So that's how I know how, who I am because it's all coming from me. Mm. I'm not pretending to be someone else. I'm bringing different parts of me to the foreground to support choices that I make in the character that I'm playing. Mm. Something that you said there, talking about um, what it, what it is, it's to be an actor, but to be any sort of artist, you really need to 
first before you can really be prolific with your output. Mm. You kind of got to look inside. (laughs) Um, Yes, you do. And, you know, going back to, again, the fact that you had this quite prolific career and then you went to do classes, which is actually where we met, I think, the first time was at um, a master class from a great American teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, Changed my life. How did it change your life? Because I never studied. I never studied acting. I never was given tools of how to do stuff. So I would just, it was all just instinct and natural ability, which um, I was gifted with and and, um, managed to to be successful um, to a huge degree with just those just those two things really learn my lines and turn up and just go on instinct and have a crack and 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 I'd never been given any tools of how to investigate how deep it could go um so when uh five years ago when I worked so you know I'm like 25 years into my career I go hmm there's a there's a master class on this guy from America he works with Leonardo DiCaprio and all these really incredible actors and yeah, there's something in me that's kind of curious and needs to learn. And I, there's stuff I can learn. I'm going to learn stuff here, I reckon. And I did this class and I just was like, holy shit. The, I've just been getting away with it. I've <laughs> just been getting away with it. I did. I worked hard, but i just been getting away with it for 25 mm, years. I guess there's a difference between instinct and technique. That's right. And I don't think I should, you know, I was like, it's not about going, well, just ignore instinct and, and absolutely not. That's a huge part of the way I operate still. My instinct is always really strong and always right, as is everyone's in my opinion. But this was about um, the research, the investigation, the detail like I just hadn't even considered how deep it could go. And um, and so that's how I want to work from now on. And that's how I have worked from that over the last five years and possibly why I've been given opportunities and succeeded in the opportunities I've been given because I have this new way of approaching how I work as an actor. And he was, you know, just a really amazing man and, and – um, yeah, we formed the, all the actors that were part of that masterclass. Formed a the, we formed a theatre company. I got everyone together. We had a sort of meeting, and um, we started a theatre company. We've st- we're still going. We're four years into our theatre company. It's incredible. Amazing that this group of people we've stayed together because that's how we want to work. We don't mm. want to just get away with it. We don't want to just. I don't want to just learn my lines and turn up on set. In. And I can, I can. I can learn my lines and turn up on set and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not how I want to work anymore. Mm. I want to bring rich depth and detail as much as I can to bring authenticity into the characters that I play. Mm. And I think that's what separates the good from the great. Yeah, well, it's about is it about you or is it about the story? And that's not to say that people who work on instinct alone don't look at the story and always aren't about the story. The story but it's always the story. Yeah. It's always the story, yeah. I think, I think my instinct was that it was about the story, but um, what did I need to do to bring yeah, it to you the can story, etc., et et You can only take that a certain distance, I think, if you yeah. don't have technique to back it up. This teacher that, that we're talking about is Larry Moss is his name. And I, when I did this masterclass, this very first masterclass, he said to me, it's not about you, it's about the story. And I have never been so relieved in my life. To go, oh my God, it's not about me. That's fucking awesome. 
See, I think a, a part of the whole thing with Avenue Q with the puppet was it actually wasn't about me. It was about the puppet. So I had this thing that I was kind of putting out, you know, mm. again, it's kind of self-deprecating, but I was like, well, oh, I'm, I'm not good enough, but the puppet is. It's mm. okay. So the puppet can be amazing. Become less inhibited. No, the puppet wasn't amazing on its own. I had to be amazing for the puppet to be, you know, when I look back on it. But at the time, I think I was going, cool, it's all about these beautiful little people, furry felt people. Because it's it's you put this pressure on yourself as a performer. You've got to emote and you've got to express this and make people feel and all this sort of shit. No, you just got to fucking tell the story. Mm. What are you telling? What's the story? What are you telling? What's your part in it? Be honest and tell it. It's not about you. And that was the best piece of news I'd been given ever. <laughs> Just work really fucking hard and it's not about you. I think that's applicable to any... I mean, even coming here, like even doing this today, I was like, I'm nervous about it. Not because of you or, or yeah, Nick or anything, but I'm nervous because I want to get it right, in inverted yeah, commas. Yeah, there is no want, getting it right. Yeah, exactly. Ever. No. Well, in fact, perfection is the death of creativity. Well, it's Yeah, well, it's impossible. Yeah. It doesn't exist. No. I'm never going to watch a performance of mine and go, I nailed it. Amazing. Mm. Because there's always work that could be done because yeah. the work is infinite. I could work on a role for the rest of my life and never get to the end of it, you know. It, it just is. It's just infinite. Mm. And at some point you, you, you have to get on the stage and do the show or you have to roll tape and make the film. So you do as much work as you fucking possibly can up until that moment and then you just let it all go and just fucking tell a story you mm. know open up and tell the story sounds yeah. easy right <laughs> yeah sounds simple <laughs> there's a lot of work you've got to do before you can get to that bit i think yeah and i think as you say that's what separates the good from the great yeah. or the mice from the men like anything like any like any uh, job like any hugely successful person mm. it's hard work if you're prepared to work your ass off you'll be great mm. eventually now uh, I think Steve Jobs, you know, like he, he works, his, he worked his ass off. It doesn't stop either. It's not like, okay, oh, I got that film. So I made it now. There is no making it. You don't, mm. you don't make it. No. You, everyone talks about, oh, she's, oh, she really made it. If anyone says I've made it, I kill me. I'm mm. dead. I don't, you don't make you it. Never there is arrive. no, where, where, where is there? Yeah. You know what I mean? There is no arrival point. It's, it's, this is this wonderful character that I'm playing and telling this story and then hopefully there'll be another one, God willing. Mm. At the moment, I don't know. At the moment, I don't have a role that I'm going on to. I'm unemployed, just like the rest of the fucking acting population. And hopefully something will come my way. But I'm not going to sit at home and wait for my agent to call me because I'm an asshole if I do that. Yeah. Oh, totally. I don't deserve the job if I do that. So I create a theatre company. I create work. I... Do voice class. I do. I got. To, I, I learned all this five years ago. I'm like, why did I not know this when I was 18? <laughs> why now? You know. Like, you could be Susan Sarandon. God damn it! I really could the kids be. Are watching these days. <laughs> I still could be J Lo. Susan Sarandon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, that was just a, an abstract person <laughs> I that like I could it. think of. It's you know, it's what John Lennon says: life is what happens when you're busy making plans. This is the thing. Yeah. Um, do you believe in God? You said God before, God willing. Yes, my version of God. What is your version of God? Um, so I'm not religious in any way, shape or form. Um, I think all religions um, have really the same kind of thing at the core of them, really. Yeah. 
I think God is um, me and you and yeah, a few other people in the room. <laughs> everyone. I think everyone is, I mean, that's, that's, this is really getting crazy, isn't it? Mm. I, think, I think God's in all of us and I think it's everywhere. And I think, um, you know, I, mean, I talk about the universe a lot and energy. And I mean, this didn't just come out of nowhere, mm. you know, I don't think. So I believe that, that, yeah, it's kind of hard to explain. It's like that divinity is yeah. the love. Yes. Thank you. Bang. That's it. And, and people who haven't experienced that love may not believe in divinity. I mean, I don't know if I believe in a God. I certainly believe that there is a higher yes. mode of existence. Yeah, and, and so the, that's my point. I, I'm, on the, I'm on the same page as you, and I think that the, the name we have for it is God. Yeah, exactly. So I, call, I say God willing, or I say, you know, thank you, God, or What's like thank God? you, universe. Yeah. You know, because, you know, there's so much energy and and. And mm. stuff around us it can't have it can't be just nothing well it's god and the devil is love and fear really yeah that's interesting in, in, in my opinion yeah interesting because if you i mean if you look at anecdotally yeah. all that sort of stuff mm. and then if you just applied it in a more i guess that's a more superficial or um black and white way of looking mm. at it it's kind of the same thing yeah um, yeah. And the devil is, you know, your your consciousness that's always pulling you into the ego of the I'm not good enough, I'm not this, I'm not that, or the self-doubt or whatever. Mm. But if you're sitting in a place of love, none of that matters. That's and right. All of that is superfluous. And don't you just wish that for everyone. Exactly. You know? <laughs> like, and then everyone would be connected as well. Fuck, wouldn't that be nice? Mm. Possible. It's possible. So where do you think the meaning of this big blue dot in the Milky Way that we occupy is I don't know I don't know but just work hard and love everyone kind of I mean I don't know I went through a really shitty time over the last sort of six months year or whatever and personally and I Mm. I remember being like you know when you go through a hard time you feel like it's completely just devastating and 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 it is yeah but then I I, my place is I, I always have to go by the water to feel like that's my little place of feeling good you know I always feel good when I'm at the water water's edge and I sat down on the water and I thought I thought god this is just so dumb this is just awful and I just feel horrible and I'm so upset and this is just fucked and I just took a big breath and I was like looked up at this massive fucking sky and I thought I'm just a little person on this planet with a broken heart like really Mm. if I boil it down to that that's what's going on for me right now and I will move past this and um we're so tiny and and minute but so massive at the same time so I I don't really know what the answer is to what the point of it is but I'm here and while I'm here I'm gonna live and shine and and have my moments of self-doubt because I'm fucking human being and 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 just try and fucking enjoy it. <laughs> mm. Really? There's a great there's a great uh, quote that I read a week or so ago that was um, you never step in the same river twice. <laughs> Damn straight. Mm. Um, Damn straight. Yeah. What makes you silly? Oh, not much. Everything. <laughs> not much. Everything. No, no. No. Everything makes me silly. I'm. I. I my favorite thing is to just laugh until it hurts. it's painful. Like when your face is contorted and tears, stupid little things make me silly. I, I do all kinds of weird. Go on. 
I got home from from having dinner with my friends the other night and all by myself just blasted the stereo and danced for two hours. <laughs> it was fucking awesome. I danced around the living room like flat out for two hours. Like a bit of hip hop or capoeira? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just whatever. I just put it, put on my happy playlist and just cut sick. What's on your happy playlist? <laughs> All kinds of stuff. Bit of Lady Gaga, Gypsy, love that one. Oh, yeah, just fist bumping in the air. What else is on there? Oh, God, it's all kind of, like just the most mixed bag. I mean, my, if you went into my iPod, you'd be like, are you mental? <laughs> what is happening here? What is this? There's Pavarotti and then there's like Lady Gaga on one side and, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm a mixed bag. She did a pretty good job of um, the sound of music at the. Didn't she? She was yeah. amazing. I don't know, man. I like to think I'm all all the colours of the rainbow. So, whatever tickles my fancy at the time, I mm. just burst that out. But I, I, I just, I'm very fortunate that I have um, really beautiful friendships in my life. I have a handful of really close people who I am always me with, because part of my job is. Um, you know, is that I can't always be me in terms of, and I don't mean that in a, I'm, fa- I'm faking it or I'm pretending to be someone else. I mean, sometimes I'm having a shitty day and if someone comes and says hello, I can't tell them to piss off and leave me alone. You know, mm. that's not, that's not appropriate. No. Um, but, and, 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 you know, and sometimes I have to be on TV and talking about stuff and I've had a really, my, my grandma passed away, you know, like, mm but I'm not going to get on TV and talk about that. I'm there to do my job. So sometimes I have to, um, you know, uh, put on a little happy face on occasion, which is okay. That's cool. I get that. But I have a beautiful, beautiful group of friends that I'm always just however I am is how I am. And, man, they've been incredible. So um, I'm pretty lucky. Mm, it's amazing. It is. It's uh, uh, Yeah. And I, I think over the last few years, I don't know if it's an age thing or what, but I've just really kind of gone and stepped up mm. as a friend, I think, as well. I mean, I've always been a really good friend, but yeah. I think about, God, you know, how much I appreciate them. It's really awesome. And so I'm like, you know, my best friend had a baby. So I go over to her house yesterday and she's so tired. She hasn't slept. I said, go to bed, go to sleep because the baby was sleeping. And I cleaned up her house and did her dishes, not because I wanted her to get up and go, oh, my God, you're amazing, although that was lovely when she did. But I thought, shit, if that was me, this would be awesome. This would be very helpful right now. Mm. Whereas maybe five years ago, I might not have thought to do that. Mm. I love getting older for that reason, you know? It's funny, yeah. You All the do stuff s- you kind of learn along the way and then don't know at the same time. <laughs> things start dropping in. You realize yeah. how little you know, but also things oh, that yeah. you did know in bed. And also you learn what you do and you don't want in your life and you don't judge that anymore. Yeah. You know, you just kind of take ownership of it and go, well, these people aren't really working in my life anymore and they're lovely people, but... Send them off with love, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And these people are truly remarkable and truly amazing, you know. And my friends are so like, I used to think we're all, you know, we're all the same. We're all in this together. We are so fucking different (laughs) as humans. Yeah. And it's, you know, there's a real kind of like acceptance thing about that, about going, I don't operate the way that you operate. We don't Mm. operate the same way. And yet we just deeply love each other. Mm. 22 years of friendship, you know, like we started out as friends at, you know, high school at 15 and, and we're not the same people, you know, we, we are at the core, but you know, you don't know back then how different you are, but how much, how much, you know, love you have for each other. Yeah. The commonality of love that binds you. 
for yeah. life. Yeah, totally. It's wonderful. Mm. Mm. Cool. Well, there is a lot more that I'd like to talk to you about, but I think I'll have to get get you to come back yeah. when we're continuing to do this, hopefully, in, I'd love to in do the more. futures. I could talk um, to you for ages. Yeah, it's been awesome. It's Thank been really you. cool. Yeah, Thank you for doing wonderful. this. I really appreciate it. Oh, my it. God. It was an absolute pleasure. I just, yeah, mm. really enjoyed talking to you about all this stuff. It's cool. Mm. And this has been uh, Michaela Bannison coming up next tomorrow. Tuesday, no, tomorrow's a more generic. <laughs> That's good. Uh, Coming up next tomorrow. Yeah. Wink. And for those who can't see her, she just winked. At I me. did. When I said wink, I winked. Yeah. See, that's how I'm silly. There's, there's an example right there of silliness. <laughs> cool. Well, on that note, let's cut it there. Well, that brings a close to episode two of Coming Up Next. I'd really like to thank Michaela for sitting down with me. Coming up next, we have a man who has been in pretty much every show that Australia's ever made, from Blue Heelers to Unbelly to Bikey Wars to The Time of Our Lives, you name it, he's done it. Coming up next, Damien Walsh Howling. Tune in next Tuesday, and thanks for coming on the journey. <laughs>